Day after tomorrow, gentlemen, we'll be in Las Vegas. Welcome to Vegas. Las Vegas functions on a 24-hour-a-day schedule. The pools, the casino. Big volcano out in front. That's the Eiffel Tower. Bellagio. Riviera. The Mirage. Flamingo. Sahara. The MGM Grand. This isn't the real Caesars Palace, is it? Want to gamble? They always put the machines that pay off the most right in the front. Good luck. The strip is just the most amazing stretch of road, I think, probably anywhere in the world. Kicking ass in Vegas. Vegas, baby. Vegas, baby. Welcome to Las Vegas. Welcome to the bonus round. This is a chance for us to bring you some additional Vegas content, not a part of the usual show. 360 Vegas Reviews is our opportunity to look a little more in-depth at all things Vegas and share the experience with you. Today, we are discussing the Sphere at Venetian. People will try to describe the experience you have at the Sphere, but let's start by saying it's unlike anything you've experienced before. It doesn't matter if you see the film or a live act, this will be different which is exactly what Madison Square Garden Company was going for with the Sphere. You'll find a lot of comparisons to IMAX, Disney's Soarin' Attraction, 360 theaters, but that's only because how else do you describe something that's never been done before? The Sphere is one of those rare attractions that lives up to the hype, not only breaking the technological ceiling set before it, but creating a new form of entertainment. Let's discuss some of the ways it's unlike anything you've seen before. First. The Sphere is located behind the Venetian Convention Center. It's the largest spherical building in, ever constructed at 366 feet tall and 516 feet wide. The exterior also features 580,000 square feet of LED displays, making it the largest LED display in history. It cost approximately $2.3 billion to build and took four years to bring to life. Construction started in 2018 with a planned opening of 2021 but had to put the project on hold in 2020 due to supply complications brought on by the COVID pandemic. When progress resumed, materials and technology costs had increased, causing the original projected $1.2 billion price tag to almost double by the time it was complete. The Sphere is the most expensive music and entertainment venue in history. It seats 18,600 with standing room accommodations that can handle up to 20,000. 10,000 of those seats have haptic technology incorporated into the seats. They work in conjunction with 4D features like scent and wind. At 160,000 square feet, the 16,000 resolution wrap LED screen is the largest and highest resolution LED screen in the world. The sound system comprises of, of 1,600 speakers installed behind the LED panels. The experience starts the moment you enter the venue. The atrium is large enough to fit the Statue of Liberty or the Saturn V rocket. Inside, you'll find five humanoid robots throughout the venue introducing you to the sphere as well as interacting with patrons. While the technology is impressive, personally, I would best describe them as borderline creepy. That said, they are powered by AI and have the ability to react to those that interact with them. The sphere isn't designed to host things like professional sporting events typically presented in the round. However, it would fit well with events like boxing, MMA, WWE, esports, or even award ceremonies in addition to concerts and films. Today, we are going to discuss both the film and the concert experience. We'll start off with the film. Darren Aronofsky, 
probably best known for films like Requiem for a Dream, Black Swan and the Whale, is the director of the first film ever captured in 18K. It's called Postcards from Earth and tells the story of a dystopian Earth that humans have had to evacuate due to all the damage done to it. It follows two humans waking up from cryosleep after their journey to another planet that can sustain life. Darren uses this narrative to showcase what sort of film experience only the sphere can offer. It can probably be best described as a love letter to the planet featuring some of the most breathtaking scenes ever captured on film. The film is 50 minutes long and ticket prices start at $89, increasing based on the better the seat location. Tony and I had a chance to check out the sphere and, and postcards from Earth. Tony, what were your thoughts on the film? Or actually, why don't we talk about the venue first? What did you think of the venue? So, <laughs> listen, uh, to the listeners, I would, I would suggest you make sure that you wear very comfortable shoes to be able to walk to finally get yes. uh, to where you need to be. Yes. <laughs> it, is, it is a haul to get there. Yeah, you've got to um, travel the entire length of the convention center to get to it. And, and you just don't appreciate how big. I certainly know I had never been to the convention center before, so I had no idea just how big it was and how maze-like it was. I was fortunate that Mark had been there before, so Mark knew where to go. You know, if you're if you're a newbie and you don't have Mark or someone that has already gone to to guide you, just follow the crowd. You know, just follow the river of humans that are right. <laughs> that are making their way. Um, but the venue, in, the venue itself is 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 interesting. I concur with you, Mark, that the uh, weird humanoid robot things are are a little creepy. Um, I it, it's a little frightening to think about where our future is going. But God willing, I'll long since be dead. Man, <laughs> given up before, before that's an issue. Um, but they, but it was, but it was interesting enough to, to kind of, sort of see the humanoids and what they were supposed to do, and allegedly they were supposed to be interactive. But we didn't really stick around long enough to, to catch them. We did stop and get you. Um, uh, I got a beer, and you got yourself a beer and a snack before we went in. They, mm-hmm. The prices didn't seem totally out of whack, but I'll be real honest, they don't exactly remember what my beer cost me. I'm, I'm assuming probably 15 bucks for a traditional pint of something, which I assume is not terrible for right. any for the, venue yeah for any concert venue that is the it is true it is true i understand why they do not want you standing uh at your seat when you're in the actual sphere itself yeah it's pretty steep it is incredibly steep those steps are narrow uh and they go obviously they don't go straight up but i mean they there is a very very uh high pitch for lack of a better word did you know that they won't let you in or they won't let you back in if you leave during the uh, movie at least that's what they say on uh, on the website i did not know that i i can appre- I very much appreciate that who wants assholes you know walking right in front of you up and down <laughs> going to get their you know more popcorn or take a piss or whatever it is that they're going to do right. frankly i wish movie theaters would start to institute that <laughs> so wait if you walk out of the the main hall to just go to the bathroom and get a snack, they won't let you back in. Is that's that what, what that's mean? what it says. Once the lights go down, you cannot leave your seat. Oh wow! I thought that meant like if you leave the building, you can't come back in. And I was like, okay, that's that's you know to be expected, but right. that's crazy. Okay. Should we talk about whose disembodied voice we're hearing right now? <laughs> well, this is uh, as as uh, as always. We've got Josh uh, headlining our uh, our reviews, but also joining us our regular co-host Tony. 
Well, uh, that that part I figured because you said, "Hey, Tony, tell us about what you thought." But I just wanted <laughs> folks to know that Josh is, is is joining us here as well. So yeah, the venue in and of itself. One other interesting thing that I had to ask you about was that the screens that you see inside the sphere are not the same uh, wall, if you will, or or exo shell of the sphere that you see on the outside. Right. So that so there's it's a little bit not much but a little bit smaller inside the venue mm-hmm. than it is on the outside. It's 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 a bit more um, cozy, let's say, mm-hmm. inside. It's not small by any stretch of the imagination, but it is certainly mm-hmm. a very. I will concur with everybody that has said, and Mark, I think you've said it on this uh, podcast a few times now. There is no bad seat. I can't imagine no. that uh-huh. there's any bad seat in that um, in that sphere. Yeah, I've actually gone twice. I've seen it in the 200 row, and then with you, we saw it in the 400. And while I did think uh, the closer was was more enveloping, it, it's there is no bad seat. It was a great film, regardless. So I, I'll say I have seen um, some images from from the 100 section, mm-hmm. and and this I think was the section where when when the U2 concerts were being sold. Um, People, all of a sudden people were getting refunds or notifications or something saying, hey, by the way, you may not get a great view here. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some images from that section. Um, I don't think it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't want to watch the movie from there, right? right I, but right. I don't. I think you can see enough of the screen to enjoy it. Um, but I would, I would stay out of the back rows of the 100 section if you were go if you wanted to see as much of the screen as possible. Yeah, I don't know if it takes away from the enveloping feel, but I know exactly the, the space you're talking about where it starts to overhang, the 200 level overhangs yes. and cuts off the view. So Tony, what did you think of the film? Oh, it's 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 gorgeous. It's beautiful. Um it's it's unlike anything that uh, words can even describe, honestly. Mm. It's it truly is immersive. There were a few times where uh, the audience does a a gasp or a shout or a you know just because they're reacting to it, right, like like right. something's coming at the at you at the screen, and it's not 3D. To be very very clear, it's not 3D that Mm-mm. makes you think it's coming at you. It's just because you feel like you're standing in the Serengeti or you're yes. standing in the uh, Amazon forest or wherever you're, wherever you are for that. And, and the, this thing, whatever it could be, a monkey, a bird, a, 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 an elephant, a giraffe, doesn't matter when it's coming. It feels like it's, you forget that you're not, that you're actually, you know, sitting in a sphere in the desert in Las Vegas. You do feel very much like you are a part of whatever that you're walking with those animals. I a hundred percent agree with you and, for, and glad you remember to bring it up because that's the best way that I can describe it is, is it's like you're in that, that specific space. It, it's so enveloping. It's like you're actually there. All right. So that's the film. Let's talk about the show. All right. So I've got a pretty big write up here on the show. Um, I'd like to get a few things out of the way kind of before I dive in here. First thing, <laughs> I know that this is, for some reason, a divisive band. Um, people seem to love U2 or, or hate U2. Um, I happen to be in the love them camp, and I, I don't really care if you are in the hate them camp. I'm not, you know, like an evangelist trying to like, get, no, you should really give them a shot. I, music opinions are entirely subjective, and no one's going to change anyone's mind. Fair enough. But with that in mind, I'd like to ask that those who aren't interested to just simply move on 
instead of you know voicing your distaste, <laughs> which is so common in the internet age. I know. It's it's not that you know you can't have an opinion. It's just you know, I don't like K-pop, but I don't mention that I don't like K-pop every time the subject comes up. Well played, sir. Well played. So what I'm saying is, don't yuck someone else's yum, okay? <laughs> and also, I want to add to this: if you think U2 is the worst ever for putting a free album on your iPhone several years ago, but you continue to buy all things Apple, your opinion has. <laughs> Because there, there were there were two parties in that. In I remember that, that very clearly. <laughs> and I, I admit it didn't land like they intended it to, but there were two parties involved in that. So, <laughs> All right, so the second thing I want to get out of the way, I recognize that this is not 360 Vegas album reviews, and I'll try to keep that in mind as I discuss this show. But I will say, Octoon Baby, that album is the center of this show. Mm-hmm. And it's also on a personal level, kind of the genesis of my love for this band. So if I spend a little too much time discussing the virtues and nuance of the album, please forgive me. <laughs> and then finally, um, I'm not going to have a whole lot to say about my experience regarding the venue itself. Um, that's why we thought it was actually a really good idea to kind of couple these two reviews together. Yeah. Um, our seats were general admission, so we were standing room on the floor of the venue, and they actually brought us in a separate entrance from everyone else who had seats. So we never saw that lobby. We never saw the the iRobot killer robots that Will Smith is going to help us fight later <laughs> on. We, like, we never saw any of that stuff that you guys saw um, when, when you went in. So I wish I could comment more on the facility, but my experience just does not allow that. Fair enough. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring Tony into this so that way we, we had uh, uh, ex- experience with it that we could share. Yeah, yeah. All right. So coming back to point one, um, Octune Baby made me a U2 fan. Um, it came out at a time when I was kind of looking for my own music and not just listening to the stuff that, you know, my parents were listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, I have always thought it's kind of a brave album. Um, U2 had just won two Grammys for the Joshua Tree and came back four years later with Octune Baby as if to say, you know, glad you like that. Here's something totally different. <laughs> Uh, you know, instead of duplicating the sound that won them so many accolades and awards, they they just completely rewrote everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an album that's about conflict and resolution. That's kind of a result of the fact that they recorded it in Berlin right after the reunification. Oh, wow. And it's also during the time that uh, their guitarist, The Edge, he was going through this really rocky divorce. Mm. I also think that this is actually, bear with me here, this is actually a very Vegas album. All right. It's very dark. It's very sexy. It's full of these references to kind of temptation. Hmm. And there's kind of an arc through the album. You can kind of argue that it tells the story of a night out that goes a little too far as you go through the album. And then there's kind of a reconciliation that comes with the sunrise at the at the end of the album. So I always thought it was a very Vegas album. See, I, I love hearing stuff like this because there, there's so much. Like now I'm interested in hearing the album, you know, giving it, giving it another shot. You should, as you, as you as you see as we go through this. Um, all that to say, you know, when I found out that my favorite band would be performing my favorite album in my favorite city, I packed up my favorite person and we made for the promised land. And now I get to talk about it on my favorite podcast. So awesome. this is like I'm peaking today. Everything's right. coming together. <laughs> so again, our tickets uh, were general admission, which is standing room only on the venue floor. We have done this once before at a YouTube concert. This was more than 10 years ago. 
Uh, I waited all in line all day long to get us kind of close to the stage. And I always kind of felt that was a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we bought general admission tickets for this event, I made it clear to my wife, like I said, I'm not going to spend all day in Vegas waiting in a line. Right. Um, I said, if you want to do that, you know, I'm happy to meet up with you before the show if you want to hold places. But I've done that <laughs> once, and I'm not doing it in a day in Vegas. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, the venue kind of attempts to address this. Um, and I, I don't, well, we can argue if they're successful or not. If you have the general admission tickets, you can arrive at the sphere between 8 a.m. and 1 p.m. on the day of the event to get a numbered wristband. Then you return to the venue at 5 p.m. and they let you in based on the number on your wristband. So obviously, if you, the earlier in the day you get there to get your wristband, the mm-hmm. smaller your number is. That's, I, you know what? So far, I'm team that. Yeah. That's actually, that's actually a really ingenious idea. Yeah, and I think, like, basically, spoiler alert, we, we didn't end up really using that. Um, but, I, but I think it, it does make sense. Um, it's not a perfect system, though. We drove to the Sphere to pick up our wristbands, and they didn't allow parking on the property for wristband pickup. So we ended up parking on this crowded side street and had to walk around a bunch of F1 fencing and bleachers to get to the part of the venue that was actually distributing the wristbands. Hmm. Now, I totally get charging for parking when there's an event, but not letting someone park to run in and get a wristband for literally two minutes yeah. is bonkers. Yeah, that's that's excessive. Uh, we did end up staying at Wynn the night of the show, so we didn't stay there the previous night, which is why we had to, or we attempted to drive over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the night of the show, we stayed at Wynn, so we walked to the event in the evening. Um, I felt getting there was easy you're you're right it is a walk it is, it is quite a big walk to get back there but you know you go across the pedestrian bridge from wind to venetian and then there are signs through the venetian kind of directing you there i was a little nervous about that because i'd never been through the um the convention center myself mm. and you know eighteen thousand people like tony said you just follow the crowd right push you the right way right um, I thought we were going to end up taking that new pedestrian bridge that kind of crosses over Koval from the Venetian to the Sphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for they directed all of us general admission ticket holders out of the convention center on the on the ground floor and then told us to walk along Sands Avenue. And then we had to cross Koval on the ground via the crosswalk. So only the general admission people had to do that. And then we walked kind of around the north side of the Sphere and then we entered via what they called the East VIP entrance. Okay. This is another kind of complaint I have about the venue. They have got to streamline their entrance procedures. Okay. Um, I compare that to T-Mobile, mm-hmm. which we've been to for a few Golden Knights games, and they have a similar capacity to this fear, right. and it takes five minutes to scan your ticket, pass your security, and be inside that place. Whereas here, I think they had two... Because everyone's got to go through a metal detector and stuff. Right, you know? They right. had like two metal detectors for all of us who were in general mission. And it just seemed to take forever to kind of get through the whole general mission line right. um, and get everyone in there. So, you know, more security, um, more doors, period. I know. You got, you got time for robots. Let's get some people in there that can, <laughs> right. that can do some productive things. Right. Make the robots scan tickets or <laughs> right. something. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, once inside, we were directed down this really 
dark, moody hallways. Like, I think the walls were literally covered with black fabric and then blue lights shining through them. Hmm. And and they kind of directed us down this hallway toward the general mission area. We stopped to use uh, a restroom along the way. I thought the restrooms were suitably massive for the size of this venue. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also a bar lounge kind of area that was dedicated to general admission. We did not actually check it out. I will say that once we got to the general mission floor, we ran into a total wall of people. I had seen in videos from previous shows that seemed like the stage left side. And for those of you who don't know, um, stage left and stage right refer to the dis- the direction of the performer looking at the audience. Right. Okay. So the stage left side had fewer people than stage right. And they literally dumped us out onto the stage right side. So I was like, let's just try the left side. So we pushed our way over there. Mm-hmm. And so despite getting there long after we should have with our wristbands, we ended up about 10 people back from the stage. Nice work. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, so not bad. Um, we sat on the floor <laughs> there. Because it was like still an hour and a half before the band was going to take the stage. See, that's why I can't go to a concert now unless I got a seat. <laughs> right. Um, I was actually really surprised to see a whole bunch of cocktail waitresses walking the general mission floor, and they were taking drink orders. Oh, so nice. we didn't even have to go to that um, that that bar lounge because they were bringing drinks out to us. Wow. I suspect there were more. Again, over on the right side where we were, because there was just room to get around, whereas the left side was probably too crowded for them to do mm. anything. I don't know, uh, but I've never seen that at any concert floor before. Is you know basically cocktail waitresses going yeah. around, all the people standing there taking orders. So that was really cool. Yeah. About seven thirty or so, a DJ started playing. Um, he was DJing from this modified car that slowly <laughs> moved around, like he was like standing, like there's like in the sunroof or something. <laughs> and this car is slowly moving around through the crowd in the Joe Mission area. When it, I had heard that the band had chose a DJ for the opening act, I got to say, I was really hoping that it wouldn't be like what I call oomts, oomts club music. Right, mm-hmm. right. And it turns out I have absolutely nothing to worry about. This oh. guy absolutely knew his audience. He was playing rock and pop hits from the 80s and the 90s. Nice. Crowd was totally getting into it, singing along with songs like Living on a Prayer. It was an <laughs> excellent fit. That's good to hear. I was concerned when you said there was an opener. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of different people open for U2, because I've seen, this is the sixth time I've seen U2. Nice. And um, the eighth time for my wife, we've seen a lot of different bands open for them. Some have been excellent fits. Some have been kind of like, really? That, that's kind of out of left field. This, this was great. Um, about 8.40, the lights went down, and the crowd got super loud. Slowly, the band takes the stage. Bono starts singing a sort of short a cappella song I've not heard before. And then the drums kicked in. The band launched into Zoo Station, which is the opening track of Off Tomb Baby. Okay. Now, when I originally wrote this, I said I didn't want to spoil what happens. But a listener has already written into the show and kind of said what happened. So I'll say this. I think that if you've not seen any videos of this show, you should go in spoiler free. Oh, okay. If you... Are, don't care about going in spoiler free go ahead and listen if you do care about going spoiler free just fast forward like two minutes so I'm going to talk about what happens so when you first enter the venue it looks very industrial inside it looks like you're in a dome I mean you are in a dome it looks like you're in um, like the Capitol building or something but it's made out of these industrial concrete blocks stacked all the way up to the ceiling and then there's an opening in the top where you can see the night sky 
there is little effects where like a, a bird flies in through this opening in the top and flies around the top of the room. But it's all an illusion. It's all that's the screen. The screen oh, is wow. on and they're projecting <laughs> so it looks like you're in this kind of unfinished industrial space. And then when that when Zoo Station starts, the song has some opening riffs that are kind of broken apart by some silences. Okay. And so dust and cracks start appearing between the concrete blocks. Like the building is starting to kind of shake. Right. And then when the song really kicks in, the the blocks split apart. Like the music is kind of bursting through. Mm -hmm. And so for some people who haven't seen it, they may not realize the screen's been on the entire time. Oh, that's cool. The screen's been on the entire time, and you thought you were in this kind of unfinished industrial space, and then it's, nope, it's this is part of it. So it was a really cool effect, a really cool way to kind of introduce the screen. Yeah. Um, let's see. The band played probably seven or eight tracks from Octoon Baby. How, how many tracks are on Octoon Baby? I think a dozen. Okay. Um, they don't play them in the exact album order. Oh, that's a bummer. Um, we saw them... The last time we saw them was like seven years ago when they were touring for the Joshua Tree, and they did do them in exact order. In order, yeah. This one was a little bit different. I will say that in the first section of the of the show here, they did play songs from kind of the first two-thirds of the album. Okay. They just kind of mixed up the order a little bit. All right. Once they did that section, they kind of shifted gears a little, and they played a few other songs, mostly acoustic. Didn't you say that there's a narrative in that album? That It seems like that would make it disjointed. It, it does, but it doesn't. There's okay. a couple times where I was like, oh, this makes sense. Like, especially when they did kind of the sec- like the last third of the album. Okay. A couple songs they switched around. Um, and I'll say that the, the narrative is really loose. And okay. it's something that I've only heard a couple of people say. It's not, I've never heard the band say, no, this is what we did. Okay. It's not like the Who's Tommy where it's like this rock opera and it's, right, right. it needs to go in order or something. Um, when we saw them, we saw them the day after the the, the first Hamas attack in oh, Israel. Jesus. Yeah, and so you know Bono's going to say something about right. that. So the songs they played in this kind of this middle section where they kind of let the show breathe and kind of dial things back a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they played like I still haven't found what I'm looking for, Pride in the Name of Love, and and MLK. So again, really. Like chill songs. This is the part of the show where, when they had Lady Gaga come out as a guest, um, Lady Gaga came in this kind of this middle section. Okay. 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 And and in this middle section, they're not using the screen very much, except to kind of put their faces up and make them really large. Right. They're not doing huge effects or anything because, again, you kind of if you hit people with this imagery and all these effects too much, I think it just can become overwhelming. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's something that happens in the film that I didn't spoil. That when you when you enter the place, you're gonna you're gonna see something, and then that's it's gonna it's gonna change. So once they finish this section, where again they, they kind of dial it back, dial back the energy a little bit. Uh, Bono announced it's time to wake the baby up, and the band goes on to finish Octum Baby. This part of the show where they kind of did this, the last third of the album mm-hmm. was probably my favorite part of the show for, for a couple of reasons. Okay. One, it's later in the show, and so fewer people had posted videos and, and photos of this portion. Mm-hmm. So there were a few more surprises, because I think at that point people were like, okay, I'm tired of taking pictures and stuff, so, <laughs> so I'm going to like take this in. I don't know. I, I, didn't, I didn't see as much on social media, so there, were, there was just more surprises. And 
it's really kind of the emotional climax of the album. So I've always felt that those songs hit pretty hard. Okay. So I, I just really like that section where they kind of came back to the album. After finishing uh, the second Octune Baby section, the band says goodnight, but of course they return for their encore. The encore was kind of like a greatest rocking hit section where they did songs like Elevation, Vertigo, where the streets have no name, mm-hmm. Beautiful Day, and of course, you know, their new Vegas anthem, Atomic City. Okay. I won't spoil Atomic City either, but I really had some of my favorite visuals of the entire show. That's cool. And, and let's talk a little bit about the visuals. We were kind of concerned that from where we were sitting, we'd be so close to the screen that we couldn't appreciate the whole thing. Mm-hmm. There were times where we found ourselves kind of looking around and even straight up above to kind of take everything in. But I don't think we missed out on anything by being so close. Okay. There was also kind of a concern about getting dizzy. Mm-hmm. You know, some people get vertigo, no, no pun intended, <laughs> um, in IMAX theaters. And the sphere is like, you know, IMAX on steroids. Yeah. We only felt a little dizzy at one point, and that was during even better than the real thing. So, so during this song, it has probably the most impressive and complicated graphics of the entire show. Oh, wow. They are structured like a moving monument to Elvis and to Vegas. Like, it almost reminded me of actually like a Hindu temple, the outside of a Hindu temple, how ornate and detailed they could be. Huh. But instead of, you know, these Hindu gods, it was, you know, Elvis and Vegas and all these signs and stuff like that. Okay. And this whole giant graphic slowly and steadily moves downward from the top of the screen. And I'm looking up at these graphics. I'm kind of following them with my eyes. And when my eyes got to the fixed point of the stage, it kind of gave the sensation that the stage was tilting up from the back of the room and we were like all about to fall over. (laughs) Because the visuals, you know, they encompass your entire field of view. Right. And so it was like, whoa. So so I had to look up and continue looking at the visuals rather than look at the visuals behind the stage while they were moving. Otherwise, it just made me feel a little dizzy. And I don't get very dizzy or motion sick. I'm not susceptible to that really. So Wow, okay. Um, they don't use any like flying or moving visuals that might convey motion from the viewer's point of view, so there weren't any other times that I felt dizzy or motion sick. Like I think it could be really tempting to do that in that space, but gotta feel like, you know, you you were on Star Tours but you weren't buckled in or something. So right, they, they right. did not do that. They did something like that in the film, but it it, it wasn't it wasn't long. Okay. Um, I think I should say something probably about uh, the sound because it's kind of silly to review a concert and not mention the sound. (laughs) Um, So first of all, it sounded fantastic. Um, I've seen videos of the concert from up high, you know, the 400s and and other sections. And in spite of the fact that, you know, you're getting the recording through the the microphone on your on your cell phone, it still sounds pretty clear regardless of where I was seeing the video shot from. Mm -hmm. I have seen this band in some venues. Um, Staples Center comes to mind where we were kind of in the nosebleeds Mm -hmm. and Bono sounded like really tinny. Like just just the mix where we were at, the mix was terrible. Right. I think as a virtue of having all those speakers, um, it, it, it just sounds absolutely incredible. And the other thing that was amazing to me is you don't see any of these speakers. You don't see a single nope. one. The only speakers I saw, there was like four on the stage serving as monitors for the band. Right. But but that's it. So you don't see these speakers anywhere. 
and it sounded incredible from where we were and from what I've seen it sounds incredible pretty much anywhere in the venue I've not heard complaints about the sound quality from anyone on social media anything like that yeah I don't know a ton about audio but they apparently broke a few uh, records with the, with their audio as well yeah yeah um, so I, again I think at the end of the day if you don't like the band if they just rub you wrong no matter what they do you're probably going to stay away that's fine if you like a few of their songs and you want to see a rock concert unlike anything else you've ever seen it's definitely worth checking out and if you call yourself a fan, then you really shouldn't miss out on this experience. Again, I've seen them six times. This was the best, hands down. Um, I think a band or an artist could be intimidated by this venue and this space. And it would really, it'd be easy to be afraid of being upstaged by the visuals and the scale of everything. But I think U2 is the perfect group to launch this facility. Uh, you know, 25 years ago on their Pop Mart tour, they were touring with what was at the time the biggest video screen in the world. I remember that. So, yeah. So they launched that tour in Vegas, too. So these guys are uh, these kind of people who know how to to utilize large scale visu- visuals in mm-hmm. their shows and and embrace that technology. So, yeah, that's all I've got to say about it. I don't know if you guys have other questions for me about that experience. But. I thought that was really thorough. Tony, you have any questions? No, but I'll tell you what, Josh, as a person who is ambivalent to you, to you two, meaning I, I, I'm not a hater, but I'm not a, I, I wouldn't call myself a fan. Um, it sounds like there are just enough songs that I would know and recognize that to be in Vegas, to see them in the sphere would certainly be a good use of uh, one's time and money. I'm contemplating going Absolutely. just from that review. Absolutely. And I'll say that they stay away from some of the more experimental stuff that wasn't as popular, some of the newer stuff from like the year 2000 on that wasn't as popular. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some exceptions. Like I said, you know, a beautiful day gets played, vertigo gets played atomic city, obviously, because it was kind of written for this venue for this experience. But, right. but people who are more into the classic stuff, um, I think we'll, you're going to hear a lot of stuff that, you know, so, awesome. so yeah, I, th- I think it's absolutely worth it. Awesome. Excellent. Nice review. So that was our review of The Sphere. As always, we encourage you to go out and experience these things for yourself. Please don't take our word for it. Showtimes, ticket prices, and deals are all subject to change. Be sure to check with the property for the most up-to-date information. If you have questions, comments, or feedback on this about this review, you can find Josh at VegasJDubs on Twitter. Check out 360VegasReviews.com for show notes. Yeah.